0: Thank you, Landon and worship team. Landon um, comes to us with two years of Bible school already behind him, and he's at COS right now finishing up his Gen Ed. Um, I was talking to Adam last night, the drummer. He's in high school. He's a senior in high school, and he's actually applying for colleges right now, and so we were talking through his hopes and dreams and and his realities. It's an odd place to be, and Elizabeth uh, just got her first kind of big-time adult job. Um, She's worked at Starbucks for a little while, and so she's adulting now. That's great. Sydney's at COS playing volleyball, Uh, incredible young lady if you get to know her, Um, and then Tyler, uh, the the keyboardist, beautiful voice, he's at Biola. He's a music major there, and Marshall comes back to us today from APU um, in Fresno, so it's great to have them all together here leading us in worship. Um, I hope it was as incredible for you as it was for me, and I really hope that God was honored by where your heart was in that worship. Um, My name is Corey Ogborn, and you might have some questions this morning. You might be thinking, where's Pastor John? Um, Where's Pastor Brian? Where's Pastor Tim? But they gave me the mic this morning, so I get to ask the questions. Uh, The first question I want to ask is, how many of you have seen Kiefer Sutherland's new television show? good good i am dialed in i am a fan i am into it's intense it is the most terrifying hour of television and let me tell you why Kiefer sutherland's character in the television show plays the secretary of housing and urban development he's on the president's cabinet he attends cabinet meetings, but he kind of sits pretty far away from the president. He's pretty low um, on the totem pole, as you will. And it is the time of year, the, the first episode, it's the time of year for the presidential address, the, the State of the Union address. And everybody's invited to the Capitol to hear the president speak, except Keeper Sutherland's character. He's not invited, he can't go. Remember, he sits on the cabinet, but he sits pretty far away from the president. And so uh, he is watching, he's watching the presidential address from someplace else. And the reason they do this is just in case there's a catastrophe, and I'm going to keep this very um, PG for this morning's audience, but in case there's a catastrophe, and you can imagine what that would look like, and the entire government of the United States is wiped out at once. And that actually happens in the first episode of this show. The entire government of the United States is wiped out and the secretary of housing and urban development is picked up by the secret service, whisked off to the white house with his family and sworn in as the president of the United States of America. The most terrifying hour in television. Think about that. The entire government is gone. Actually one Congresswoman sat out of the, of the address. And so she represents Congress. We have one person in Congress, and we have the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development um, as President of the United States. Pretty intense, right? Well, my name is Corey Ogborn, like I said, and I am the Director of College and Career, which means I attend the pastoral staff meetings, (laughs) but I sit pretty far away from Pastor John. Just kidding, that's not true. That's not how our staff meetings work. But I'm with you this morning to share um, a word. You know, I, I am not just devoted to Kiefer Sutherland. Actually, I never watched 24. Um, I know it's gonna be disappointing to many of you, um, Jack Bauer fans, but I never watched 24. I am not like a huge fan, but I am a fan of this show. I'm dialed in. Um, there are other things I'm a fan of on television. I'm a huge Survivor fan. Uh, yeah, it's in the middle of a season right now, Millennials versus Gen Xers, and I've got to tell you, Gen Xers, I am a little disappointed. I thought the mental game was yours, but you're allowing the Millennials to run the mental game in, this, in Survivor, so if they ever hear this, anybody playing Survivor ever hears this, they'll know that's how I feel. But I'm a huge fan. I've watched every episode for every season that it's been on, um, and I'm pretty devoted. On Wednesday nights, we have soup and Survivor at my house. People come over, and we have soup. Um, It's good soup, it's not soup like they would eat, you know, it's not coconut soup or anything. It's good soup, but we have soup and we watch Survivor and I turn the soundbar on, the volume goes up because people talk all the way through it, it's just how it goes and I like to hear what's going on. I'm also a pretty big fan of Disneyland, pretty devoted to Disneyland. Uh, For those of you who follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you know that I like to go there um, a lot. We have annual passes. And so it's, it's a relaxing time for me to go to Disneyland. I know a lot of parents in the room are thinking, what are you thinking? Relaxing at Disneyland, that's not good. Like, it's not relaxing at all. But it is actually relaxing for my wife and I to get away and spend some time, have some good food. Um, I know some of you in this room are fans of other things, devoted fans of other things, uh, many sports fans in this room. Um, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but how about those Cubs, right? Right. Oh, the wrong audience for that, the wrong audience for that. Okay, good. I heard the Allens would be here this morning, so I was really dialed into how long they've been fans. You guys have been fans for, like, not the Allens, but Cubs fans in general have been fans for, like, 100 years without doing anything, so this is their year. I hope they go all the way. Um, But you guys are devoted fans if your entire life they haven't, you know, won. So that's good. Good job. Thank you for that. Um, I'm also really, really devoted to Grace Community Church, and you don't have to be around me very long to know my passion for this church. In uh, 1992, Do- God did an amazing work in my life. Uh, he brought me here to Grace Community Church. I heard the gospel message. I was saved. I was baptized. And I started work um, as the music minister's assistant in 1998 and kind of have moved around a little bit and landed as the director of satellite, our college and career ministry here, and I am devoted. I am passionate about Grace Community Church. If you come to me with a little bit of negativity about Grace Community Church, my passion for this church might come back as as kind of negativity for you personally. So if we ever have that conversation, I apologize. If we've ever had that conversation, I apologize. Um, Grace Community Church is the people who attend it. You guys are uh, what makes Grace Community Church, and I appreciate you very much. And this morning, we have an opportunity to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. During this time in the church, uh, the new church, there had just been a revival of sorts, and 3,000 new believers came to Jesus. And this was the church. Um, They had responded to a message, and 3,000 at once came to be believers. So let's read that together. Acts 2, 42. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yes. Give me this. Right? When we come to church, this is what we want. And this is how we achieve that. I hope to be able to share with you how we achieve that. Um, Let's start off by just looking at, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What were they devoted to there? First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What do you think the apostles were teaching during this time? They were teaching scriptures. They were teaching Jesus. And these early believers were devoted to what was being taught to the fellowship, the gathering of believers, to breaking bread. Now, there are some, I read Shane Claiborne and others, and I've spoken to pe- people who believe, I have friends in, in Oakland, California, actually, who believe that this is um, kind of uh, la- laid out as an opportunity um, to preach communal living. And I appreciate their view on that. This morning, as I've studied it, I think the breaking bread in Acts 2.42 is probably the Lord's Supper. And I've looked into that a lot, and I've read a lot of things about it. So I think this first time we see the breaking of bread in this passage that we're going through this morning, it's the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to breaking bread together and praying and recognizing what Jesus had done for them. They were also devoted to prayer. If we take those four things teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer, it sounds a lot like the making of a church service, right? To me, it does. Hopefully, you're with me this morning. It's what we do here at Grace Community Church. So we can easily say that they were devoted to the church. Devotion's a pretty big word when you think about it. What are you devoted to? Are you here this morning, and are you able to say... I am devoted to the church. We also see that they had unity. If you're taking notes, the first thing um, on your notes is they had devotion to the church. The second thing is they had unity. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Unity is a tough thing because a lot of times people think that unity means that we just all get together, we love each other, and we all agree on everything. You can be devoted to unity in your family and realize pretty quickly that it doesn't mean that we always agree. You're unified with your wife or husband and it doesn't mean that you always agree. But they had unity. How did they have unity? I think they had trust. And so I want to lay out for you kind of three things about trust and unity. If you want to be unified with other people, the first thing you have to do is trust yourself. You have to trust yourself to pick the right people. I tell this to young people a lot. Uh, Every day when I drop our exchange student from Germany off at school, I say, make good choices. And in that is this hope and this silent prayer that he will choose the right friends. Because I can entrust him to the community of Golden West High School If I believe that he's around the right people. You have to trust yourself. Choose the right people to be around. Trust your instincts on some levels. The second, in a church situation, if you want unity, you have to trust your leaders. You have trust for your leaders. I'm not talking about blind trust. We put a lot in to um, making sure the right leaders are in place. We have an incredible pastoral staff. And I don't say that because I... I'm part of it. I say that because I'm in those meetings and I see the heart of Pastor John and how much he gives to you. Not just Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, or not just on Sunday mornings, but I see how much he gives to you in prayer and thought and how many sleepless nights he has. It's not in a creepy way that I see this. I'm not in his room watching him not sleeping. But in a very real way, I hear about how many sleepless nights he has because different people are going through different things. Maybe someone lost a loved one. Maybe someone's struggling with their job or they're struggling with finances. Those things impact him. He carries those burdens for you, with you. We have great leadership. Our elder board is an incredible elder board. Our deacon board is an incredible deacon board. They do a lot for us here at the church. We need to trust our leaders. I often say, I may not agree with everything that goes on, but if there's a room full of men that I trust and I have respect for making these decisions, how can I question it any more than that? If there are nine people, 10 people or more seeking God and I know that they're godly people and this is what God's given them, then why not trust them? And yes, sometimes we do have to vocalize our, our lack of security in their decisions. And we can question our leaders. We have great leadership. We can question them. I've been in Pastor Tim's office and said, I I don't agree with you. We close the door. No one hears. But I don't agree with you. And then we kind of hash it out. And he hears my heart and I hear his heart. And the same is true for many of our leaders. We have to trust our leaders. Not that they will do everything correctly all the time, but that they're seeking God and that God's going to work through them. That's what we need to trust. And then lastly, we need to trust God. So to have unity in this church, we really need to trust ourselves that we're here for a reason. We need to trust our leaders. They're there for a reason. They're in place for a reason. And we need to trust God. God says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When he says that, what is he talking about? He's talking about his church. We are his church, and we'll be victorious with him. The third thing they had was joy. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is kind of the communal meal. A lot of times in our culture, um, it, it, the communal meals look a little bit different in our culture than they do uh, the culture of that day. When we go to lunch with people after church and we break bread and we eat together with glad and sincere hearts, that, that's what's being spoken about here. We spend time with people. We spend time in their homes. We spend time in our culture at restaurants listening to what um, their life is and sharing with them. And they had joy. They enjoyed doing this. It wasn't a burden to them. They had joy. I think sometimes our culture saps our joy. Our week, our day in, our day out, daily living saps our joy. And sometimes on Sunday mornings when we get here, we just fall into our seat like it's our easy chair at home, and we think, oh, gift to me, Lord. And you know what my fear is? That's not joy. In the early church, they had joy. We need to, we need to find our joy again as a church, not just here at Grace Community Church, but in our City, in our state, in our country, and, and around the world. We need to find our joy again as a church. And here's why we need to find our joy again as a church. Because with this devotion to the church and wish, with this unity that they had, they were all together, and with this joy, this explosive joy, God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They had growth. They had growth. There were 3,000 of them and they didn't stay at 3,000. God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, when I read this, I don't see, although it may have been taking place, but I don't see people standing on the street corner saying, Jesus loves us. Please come with me as we speak about this and listen to what I have to say. Come to this conference, come to this event. And learn how Jesus loves us. No, all they had to do was show up to church and be devoted to that, be unified in their vision and their love for Jesus, and they had to express their joy, the joy of their salvation. They had to express joy for salvation. And people were like, I want what they have. And people were showing up, and the church grew. That's incredible. They had growth. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone, insiders and outsiders, were filled with awe. They were just in awe of what God was doing through these people. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It just got personal a little bit, didn't it? Because now I'm reaching into your pocketbooks or I'm like, sell your house. No, I'm not saying that. Um, But they did sell property and possessions and they gave to anyone who had need, anyone. People inside the church and people outside the church were given to as they had need. In our culture, we do that. In our church culture here at Grace Community Church, we do this. We have a deacon's fund and we take an offering once a month. And people who come to the church and say, the times are really hard, and I really need some help. They get help that they need. People from our church and people from outside our church. So there is still a way to do this in our culture without selling our homes and our cars, our television sets. You know, I wouldn't be able to watch Designated Survivor if I sold my television set and gave it to somebody. But... Um, there is still a way to accomplish that in our church. Each month, you should really think about the Deacons Fund and how it goes to serve our church and our community. What would be awesome is if our Deacons Fund kind of exploded in such a way that we had to give some of it away. Like, we were forced, our hand was forced to give, it, to give more and more and more to the community we live in and more and more and more to our church. That would be a good problem to have, and I can't help but think that that's the problem they had in the early church anyone who had need, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Believers enjoyed the favor of everyone and anyone in the early church. I'm not sure that that's true in our culture today. Sometimes I'm out and and I have conversations with people. Um, we, were, we were vacationing once, and I had a conversation with somebody, and they were really drinking the beer pretty heavy, and they switched from beer to mixed drinks, and we were just casually having a conversation. I wasn't in a bar. Don't worry. I was on a, at dinner on a, on a cruise ship. But um, they were sitting next to us, and they, they were having conversation with us. And I didn't want to say, excuse me. You're, you're kind of drinking too much. I don't want to be associated with you. So we continued the conversation. And... Told me all about his job. They run a hotel on the East Coast and a little bed and breakfast and what he did. And they talked about their family. They talked about their life, uh, how often they cruise, all the things that kind of get bragged about in those awkward settings. And then the question came the question that you kind of hesitate Well, what do you do for a living? (sighs) I work at a church. Instantly, a different person set the drink down, asked a few questions. We finished up dinner and we didn't really see them that much anymore on the cruise. I, I don't know if they asked to be moved to a different table for dinner or what happened, but they, they just immediately, oh, you work at the church. You're, you're secretly judging me. That's not the case at all. I was engaged with getting to know this person. I love people. Um, I was walking through... Disneyland with a missionary from Guatemala. She's here visiting and I had an opportunity to take her to Disneyland and I was walking through Disneyland and I'm introducing myself to people. I'm that awkward dad that kids go, no, no. And I'm introducing myself to people and I'm having conversations with them and she's like, wow, you talk to a lot of people. I thought you knew all these people for a second. Like you came here that much, but you talk to a lot of people. I just like to hear people's stories and at Disneyland they put where they're from on their name badge. So it'll say like Kevin from Huntington Beach. And I'm like, whoa, you're from Huntington Beach? That must be a really cool place to be from. Like, do you still live there? How close are you to the beach? Do you surf every day? What's going on with you? Like, and the person's like, whoa, this person doesn't even know me, but it's fun. And that's the type of people that express joy, the joy of living for Christ. My salvation is a great thing and I enjoy sharing it with anybody who asks and a lot of people who don't even ask about it. I share it with them. My family hears about it all the time, saved or not, and sometimes they don't express the same joy for the conversation that I have, but I'm excited to share it. And early on in the church, the believers enjoyed the favor of everyone and anyone. That tells me that their joy was infectious, that people wanted what they had. And growth happened. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't raise support and go out on the mission field. I have a lot of respect for our missionaries and what they're doing. Um, I go on a mission every summer to Guatemala for two weeks. I've gone on on the mission to Mexico with our high schoolers for a lot of years. Uh, 18, 17, 18 years I went with them. And I have a lot of respect for missions, but here we don't see missionary evangelism. We don't see people leaving their seats or going out from the community and really purposely sharing the gospel message, the Romans road, or the little four spiritual laws, little yellow book. We don't see that. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. What we see is comprehensive, holistic evangelism. Every part of their life life was consumed. It was comprehensive. What they lived, the scriptures that they heard, the prayers that they said, the meals that they had with people, it was all evangelism, comprehensive, holistic evangelism. If you want to do this, I have a little formula for you so you can write down M-A-P, comprehensive, holistic evangelism, basically all-encompassing, every part of our life. The M is for miraculous signs and transformations. Miraculous signs and transformations. We all have a story. Our personal stories make a difference in people's lives. Your personal story, if you're here this morning, includes Jesus and Grace Community Church. You have a testimony to both of those things. Transformations are important when we are talking about holistic evangelism. I don't, I don't know why, but in my story, I came to Jesus at 22, and I was sold out, completely addicted, if you will, to Jesus. My brother's story wasn't the same. Two years ago, my brother passed away. He'd been homeless most of his life. He had abused drugs and alcohol, and... He'd been in and out of jail, spent some time in prison, in prison. He says he came to know the Lord in prison. When he got out, he was baptized at Grace Community Church in Madeira, and I went and witnessed his baptism, and he talked a lot about the Lord, but then he ended up back on the streets in Bakersfield, kind of alone. My family was tired of him taking advantage of of us, and so he kind of spent the last 6 months of his life on the street with his friends there, and he chose that lifestyle. It was a choice. And I can go into a lot of the reasons why he chose that lifestyle, lack of responsibility. He didn't want responsibility was probably the key reason. He had a massive stroke and later died in the hospital. He has a story to tell. His story means something. He's not here to tell it, so I'm going to continue to tell it. The last six months of his life, we have reason to believe from the people that he had spent time with that he was reading scriptures a lot and that he was really hoping to get his life back together. What that looked like for him, I'm not sure. It was never planned out on God's calendar. God called him home, maybe in a moment of clarity for my brother, Kurt, where he was close to Jesus, and he was called home. My story is much different, and I don't know why, but at the age of 22, God got a hold of my heart, and if I've abused anything in my life, it's been my love for Jesus. My brother abused drugs and alcohol, similar upbringings, Same parents, same families, two different stories, but both important. We have a story to tell. Comprehensive evangelism means that we share our transformations with people. You guys have stories to tell, some incredible stories. I've heard them as I've interacted with you. And if you begin to tell your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and the people that you come across at school or in line at the supermarket, line at the supermarket, if it's long, it's a captive audience. They're not going to get out of line to stop hearing what you have to tell them. It's a captive audience. And if you share your story and what Jesus is doing in your life and you add to that, hey, I don't know if you're attending church, but I go to Grace Community Church and we have services at 9 and 1030. And most of the time, there's a really good speaker. with the exception of when they all go to men's retreat and leave me here is what I was saying. I was trying to be humble, but it didn't come across that way. But most of the time, there's a really good speaker. And if you came on Sunday morning, your, your life too would be transformed and you would meet these incredible people. Because see, church isn't just about what Pastor John does up here on Sunday mornings or what the worship team does on the stage. Church is about communing with some awesome people. And there is no place I would rather be on Sunday mornings than sitting out there with you guys because this is a pretty spectacular community of people and, and you're the testimony of that and when you share that with people maybe, just maybe one Sunday you're going to be surprised and you're going to see somebody you remember from the supermarket line at Save Mart it could happen the A is apostles teaching and I've touched on this already the apostles were teaching scripture and the Bible is being taught here And so if you want people to hear what the apostles taught, bring them here and have them listen to Pastor John. And if for some reason they can't make it, say, hey, if you want to, you know, dip your toe in the water, if you're one of those who don't just dive in, we all know them, like the people who go up and feel the water, oh, you're never getting in if you just do that because the water's cold, you're, you know, you're just dipping your toe in, it's not going to happen. You really have to get on the diving board and just jump in. I see some of the nods, I see some of the faces. I know who you are, the people who go out swimming in the middle of January and you just go off the diving board into the cold water instead of dipping your toe in. Once that happens, you're never going in. But if you know people who need to dip their toe, then tell them that we have a website they can go to and they can explore the ministries of our church and they can actually hear the pastor's messages. And they can hear the gospel message before they come and experience it. Because that's all they're gonna get at home really is hearing the gospel message here they get to experience it because they get to see your joy the p is personal witness through word or testimony we need to follow through when people come here when people attend our church when people are a part of what's going on here at grace community church we need to follow up with them and we need to tell them that they're important but we don't just need to tell them they're important we need to show them i have seen that many 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 times throughout the years when i'm not feeling well and people say i'm praying for you even walking up here today um, several people approached me and said, I'm praying for you. I think I told a couple of them, don't be praying for me. Pray for everybody else because they have to listen to me. Like, <laughs> that's, what you, that's who you need to be praying for. But I've experienced that community, that, that personal follow-through um, in my life here at Grace Community Church. Tough times. My grandmother, when she passed away, people came alongside me from this church and really um, prayed with me and encouraged me and blessed me. So we need to follow through. There are people who aren't here this morning. For whatever reason, maybe they're at Men's Retreat, Um, it would be great if everybody at Men's Retreat got some personal contact saying, hey, we really missed fellowshipping, communing, and worshipping with you on Sunday morning. We know you were at Men's Retreat doing, doing great things, but we missed you. And then there are some who weren't at Men's Retreat and they're just not here this morning for whatever reason. I can look around and I don't know why every seat in this place is empty. I don't know who normally sits in those seats but you know who does you do you know who normally sits beside you and they're not here this morning and you could follow through with them and you could say listen it is my personal testimony (laughs) don't use those words it sounds kind of funny but it is my personal testimony that you weren't there on Sunday and I missed you and I would really hope that you would come next Sunday and sit next to me in church because the seat next to me was empty We have a responsibility to that. I think they were doing that in the early church. As we read Acts 2, 42 through 47, I think that was happening. So map, map, miraculous signs and transformation, apostles teaching and personal witness, a great way to have holistic evangelism. At the top of your notes, if you're taking notes this morning, there's a couple of fill-ins and I want you to fill these in because it's important. Division is the enemy of devotion. Division is the enemy of devotion. And if you take nothing else home today, I save this for last, because if you take nothing else home today, I want you to take this with you. And it is true for every part of your life. Division is the enemy of devotion. It's difficult to have a divided heart and be devoted. So I was recently talking to Barbara Tilley and. Uh, She knows I'm going to share this this morning. I would say I asked her permission to share it, but I didn't. I just kind of told her I was sharing. But I was recently talking to her. It was last Thursday, and that day her heart was a bit divided. As a Golden West mom, her daughter is on the volleyball team, the varsity volleyball team, and she was going to the varsity volleyball game at Redwood. But her daughter-in-law, Becca Tilly, is the JV coach for the Redwood team. You see that you kind of see the divided heart. So she's going to go as a Golden West mom and be devoted to her daughter and her daughter's school, the school that all of her children went to, but she's secretly going to sit there and cheer that the Redwood JV girls win. It's hard to be devoted. When your heart's divided she does a great job she is a devoted mother in this story she's a devoted mother and that trumps school spirit every time so it's not a negative thing that she was a bit divided but you understand what i'm saying right it is difficult to um, be devoted if your heart is divided i'm a big ucla bruins fan Thank you, Leaf, for being here this morning. Leif attends UCLA. Um, I'm a big UCLA Bruins football fan, and uh, they're not having the best season, so it's not like I'm bragging up here that I'm a huge fan, but I am a big fan. What if my second team was USC? For those of you football fans in the room, what if my second team was USC? That would make no sense. They're crosstown rivals, and it would make no sense. And there's a game... Coming up where UCLA will play USC, what if I showed up in a shirt that was half blue and half red? I would probably be the only guy in the place hated by 90,000 people and I most likely would at least get verbally abused and beat up if I didn't get physically abused and beat up. My heart can't be divided. If I'm going to be a UCLA fan, I cannot be a fan of USC. So my two favorite college football teams are UCLA and any team playing USC. (laughs) Not because I know anybody who plays for USC or any of the coaches, and it's not a personal thing, but I'm a devoted fan. Cubs, Dodgers, right? Let's bring that up. What if there was a Cubs, Dodgers fan? I heard somebody say, oh, you know, my mother's wearing her blue in honor of the Cubs. And I thought... Go Dodgers. <laughs> it, you couldn't be a fan of both, at least for the last week. It wouldn't work for you. It would be tough. This time of year, um, I, I think about my loyalty to the San Francisco 49ers. I, I say that with the utmost humility. <laughs> I think about it in my marriage. How am I devoted to my wife if my heart is elsewhere? My heart can't be divided in my marriage. And I think about even children who hear their parents say, I wish you were more like so and so's children. I heard that growing up. I wish you were more, more like so and so's children. Those parents are devoted to so and so's children. They're not devoted to their own children. They would never tell their children that if they were devoted to their children. They're devoted to somebody else's children. And can I tell you, it's probably a dream. Because those other parents are going, why can't you be more and more like so-and-so's children, right? Nobody's perfect. But your heart can't be divided, especially when it comes to your children. Be devoted to your children. They were devoted to the church. They had unity. They had joy. And God gave them growth. I think many of us are devoted to GCC, Grace Community Church. I think we have devotion to church. I can see unity. Perhaps your heart is divided uh, here at Grace Community Church. Can I encourage you to take care of that Um, so that I can say we have unity as a church? Because if your heart's divided, really the responsibility is yours to take care of it. Maybe it's divided because you have a difference or a division with somebody in our church, and you just hold on to that. And every time you see them, your tempers flare, even though you don't want them to. God tells us to go and take care of that before we even come into his presence through worship. Or through communion if your heart's divided because of the people here whether it be leadership or non-leadership take care of it don't continue every day thinking i'll be okay it'll all be okay i can show up on sunday mornings and no one will notice people will see through it and what people are drawn to is that joy that they had in the early church So, please take care of the divisions in your heart so that I can stand up here and say that as a church, we have unity. So I can turn around the next time at Save Mart and say, I'm so proud of my church. We're unified in our vision. And unity, remember, doesn't mean that we all agree on everything all the time. That's not unity. Unity means we have trust. And I know here at Grace Community Church, at the church, which is citywide, statewide, nationwide, worldwide, the church, we need growth. You know how I know we need growth? Probably the quick answer to that would be because there's empty seats here this morning and you're thinking, oh, he's probably thinking about the empty seats again. No, you know why I need, why I know we need growth? Because there are people outside these doors who need the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There are people outside these doors that, if everything came to a close today for them, if this was the last day of their life, they would come face to face with Jesus and ask him this question Why did Corey never tell me about Jesus? I know we need growth as a church because there are people outside our church that need Jesus. I've been reading, and I'll wrap up with this this morning, I've been reading um, Jesus Prom. Life gets fun when you love people like God does. And I just thought I would kind of uh, wrap up this morning with an excerpt from here. It's John Weiss's book. I'm going to recommend it, if you're, especially if you um, are a fan of Bob Goff and enjoyed his book, Love Does. He writes the foreword in this book, and this book is written um, similar to that. I read it in two days. It's not a heavy read, but it is a great read. Here's the story John Weiss tells. When I was a little boy, my family picked up a man named Charlie and took him to church with us. There were Sundays when I felt like Charlie was taking us to church. When Charlie's mom had gone to the hospital to deliver him, her doctor was at a Christmas party. He showed up in the delivery room intoxicated and angry because he had had to leave the party. He pushed on her stomach. It was her first pregnancy, so she didn't know the protocol. She assumed his behavior was standard procedure. But standard medical procedure doesn't take the life of a young mom. Not only did Charlie never meet the mom who gave him life, Charlie did not receive enough oxygen in the process and was born with cerebral palsy. His mind works, but his body does not. For the first 12 years of Charlie's life, his dad carried him everywhere he needed to go. Charlie's dad is one of the finest men I've ever known. My family had the privilege of taking Charlie to church every Sunday for more than a decade. We took Charlie until he started telling his friends about his friend Jesus. Our wood-paneled station wagon lacked the seating capacity necessary to get Charlie and his friends from the group home they lived in to church. Do you think they stopped taking him? No, they went out and got a bigger van. So we started using the church van, seating capacity, 16 adults. By the time I was in high school, the first two rows of my home church were filled by Charlie and his friends. If a man who is considered limited by worldly standards knows enough to talk about Jesus to his friends, then what's my excuse? Hearing Charlie sing, Oh, How I Love Jesus, is one of the highlights of my life. I know Jesus loves Charlie, and I know Charlie loves Jesus. My challenge to you this morning, before I pray for you, is this that you take what the early church had, those four things that I talked about, devotion to church, their church, the church they attended, the unity that they experienced and the joy that they had, that you take those three things to the world and then watch what God does. We as a body of believers would be on the brink of an explosion. Don't leave it up to me don't leave it up to the person sitting next to you. Go out and share the love that you have for your church and share the love that you have for Jesus. Let me pray for you. And when I pray, um, we're, we're lacking in the leader's department. A lot of times John will say that, you know, you can come forward for prayer. I will be up here and I would be more than happy to pray with you. Um, whatever that prayer need is, I would be more than happy to pray with you. But if you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit awkward. Uh, we have just a few minutes, but... When I'm done praying, if you need prayer, come up and see me. If there's a line, I'll be here until the line's gone, and that's okay. But if you could turn to the person sitting next to you in one of the most gloriously awkward moments of your entire life and just say, Would you pray for me? Especially if that person is trying to stand up and get out of the room, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. So if you need prayer today, don't leave without receiving prayer. Ask the person sitting next to you, share with the other believers that are here. Let's be unified in our prayer. Father God, I do thank you for an opportunity, God, to be here this morning amongst family. This church, to me, is not a place that I come on Sundays. It's a family that I love every day of the week. And I am so blessed to be able to spend time with them this morning. Thank you for your word that never changes. It has application for us today and meaning for us today just as it did for your early church and the people who experienced you in person through Jesus. God, help us to be better devoted to you, to your church, to the unity of believers and to the joy that you give. And as we do that, God, help us to be impressed by what you're doing around us. Help us to see it and be impressed by it. It's in your grace and by your power that we pray these things in Jesus' name.